0: Twisted, she's Twisted, she's Twist on me.
1: Welcome back to the Limehouse Podcast. This is me, your host, William Porteous. I hope you're doing well. hope you're looking after yourself. Enjoy that speech by old Boris uh, this evening. I, I, a lot of people saying they're confused by it. I mean, if you just look at what's going on in the world. <laughs> There's not an awful lot of confusion to be had. Just don't be a dick. Just don't be a dick. Just don't be a dick. And also, uh, <laughs> what do I mean by that? Well, I don't know. Who gives a shit? Um, here's what I will say, though, is n- not a fan of Boris Johnson, obviously. Government have handled this whole thing terribly, badly, blah, blah, blah. But it just... Uh, I think everyone's getting a little bit carried away here. Don't you think? If you've got half a brain cell, you say, people are dying, I'm not going to go into the park and sunbathe. That's starters. I'm not going to have mates round. Maybe that's another one. It's so simple, isn't it? Get on the government's back, sure. I mean, I know they're trying their hardest now, but you get on their back, but like... They kind of relying on people having brain cells to figure this shit out for themselves a little bit, just a little bit you can only take some people so far you know, doing conga lines in Kosham and, and or lying down in street and doing a weird dance in a long line to celebrate VE Day, that's his, I mean, it's hysterical it, we are definitely kind of like a really weird hybrid of what's going on in America in terms of we want our freedom, back. We want our freedom. You know, over here it's a bit more like... Yeah, I want my... I don't know what I want, really. Um, To celebrate the E-Day. And, uh... But I don't know how to do that, so I think what I'll do is I'll get in a conga. Yeah, I'll get in a conga. Yeah, that's what my granddad would have wanted. Yeah, yeah, celebrate. Get a bit of rope and just i tell you what, I'll get Mabel round and me and her will get this bit of rope. And, and, her, and her auntie, auntie uh, Mary, yeah, she'll come round. We'll tie a bit of rope be- between us all. Yeah, me, Mabel and Mary. And what we'll do is we'll commemorate our, our dead uncles and granddads and stuff like that. Uh, died, what, like, you know, a few years ago and all that now. But they're still alive in our hearts. Some of them care homes, actually. Got the old COVID, might pop in and see him. After I've done the Congo, of course, you know, that's the most important thing. Anyway, that, that kind of thing goes around in my head and I I do struggle with uh, the level of, of anger that r- rises in me. And I'm, control- I'm controlling it pretty well here. I'm controlling it, but mainly because it's 10 o'clock at night and I'm absolutely shattered. Anyway, this week's episode, it's it's, it's a cracker. Uh, you've got Lindsay Chapman here. She's wonderful TV presenter, extraordinaire. loves Loves the old nature as we all do, and particularly now we've all gone full tilt. It's wonderful full for nature, full tilt for nature. Sounds like a quite a good album. Uh, copyright right, reserved. And I I had a wonderful conversation with her. She's she's very open, a, a sweet kind person, and I think that will come across within about three minutes of this interview. And uh, I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed myself. I very, very much settled into the conversation after about 10 minutes and kind of got to know her. She's really great. So you're going to enjoy it. And she's had a head of a, a like lead up into presenting as well. So she's got an interesting background. And yeah, give it a go. The, the phone line, the quality of the interview dips in and out a bit, it's not terrible it's, it starts off well, you know, just bear with it a bit, just bear with it also it was like three weeks ago I did this so there are a couple of references, you'll be like, well we've um, we're passed that, how old is this interview? well it's three weeks old, okay, that's great so anyway, before I uh, sign off I uh, just want to point you in the direction of my website, that's because I'm that kind of a person You know what, (laughs) I'm multi-talented, I'm multi-talented. And that's just the way it is. (laughs) I'm afflicted, what can I say? Go to the website, yeah? Somedaysarediamonds.co.uk. Somedaysarediamonds.co.uk. Why would you go there? I'll tell you, Uh, there's a film on there. There's a short film called The Name, and it's great. It's a bit funny, it's a bit dark. It's all those kind of things you want in life. It's funny. You can find it on that website, and you can watch it for absolutely nothing. Yeah, and there's also a comedy pilot on there as well. So if you need a little bit of a, a tickle, tickle under the ribs, because I know it's tough at the moment, a little tickly tickly pick-me-up, uh, why not go and check that out? diamonds.co.uk. But anyway, look, here's a conversation with Lindsay. I will be back on Wednesday uh, or Thursday morning. <laughs> um... To 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 bring you a a conversation, another one. So I'm going twice a week. At least I'm going to try and go twice a week. We'll see what happens. Uh, It's going very well at the moment in terms of like nailing down some of the great people of this country for conversation, and some people outside of this country, namely America. Enjoy yourself. Stay safe. No, no, hang on. Whoa, whoa. What is it now? It's. I'm not being sarcastic. I mean I do but it's stay alert be safe I don't know something like that just don't be a dick if Boris just said don't be a dick it would just be better unfortunately there have been too many dicks this weekend not for me personally no dick in my life um not that I wouldn't say no it's just no one's really ever asked but I think if Boris just came out rammed just on the table come on let's just not be dicks anymore let's get this let's get this right all right okay. I was going to ask you how's how the lockdown going for you is, it, is are you struck? are you okay like um, how's your mental health I suppose
2: yeah I think I think that's a good one and I think I am pretty lucky actually in in lockdown state in that I have the natural world which is really coming into its own I've always been interested in that and um, I also play netball (laughs) at least twice a week I'm a bit of a netball nut yeah I'm a a massive netball nut basically Um, and so I can't see my teams and that's actually having quite a big effect I miss that social engagement very much but I am playing I have got space in the garden so I'm doing a lot of drills um, hopefully getting better probably getting worse (laughs) I don't know yeah yeah so I think I, I think I'm relatively lucky and i've i've got work um because obviously being a tv and radio presenter is quite can be a bit precarious and uh, no i've got work so i'm actually pretty busy so i feel very lucky i feel very lucky but it does take its toll in in different ways on everyone i think
1: what is this doing to like the great things it's doing for the environment are you i guess that's crossed your mind a lot
2: absolutely it has and the thing to say is that um you know our relationship with nature is so important and that is being realized more and, more and more at the moment because people all over the country all over the world are getting love and enjoyment and fun and interest from uh, the natural world around us and and I think that's absolutely incredible you know I spend my career trying to connect people with wildlife and wild places so the fact that in these quieter times people might have a bit more space in their life they can certainly uh, hear more because there's less on the roads and in the air as you said I think that that is a massive benefit to humankind and that is wonderful when we look at the natural world I think that these few weeks uh, hopefully weeks rather than months will become the study for climate change it will become well, when we were in the lockdown for coronavirus, look at what happened across the globe. Look at how nature bounced back, even in that very small amount of time. Um, you yeah. know, look at the pollution maps of the world, and just see that it is actually possible to give nature a break and to allow ecosystems to rebuild. You know, this is going to be the model.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I presume that's something that you and you and Chris, Chris Packham, will be chatting about a lot of on well in front of and behind camera right
2: yeah it's definitely something that we talk about you know i i work in climate change he is um a naturalist you know one of the world's Mm. greatest naturalists and um yeah climate change is something we've talked about for a long long time and it's had even more conversation in the last sort of two or three years what's interesting right now is that it's taken a back seat so you know as humans um we're not particularly good at prevention, but we are good at cure. And what we're looking for now is cure to a global pandemic. And the speed at which we're able to change our habits and put things in place is, is really quite astounding. Um, and I think that hasn't happened for climate change, has it, so far? You know, although yeah. we've been banging on and saying this is going to be a global catastrophe, that hasn't happened. But, uh, you know, when our minds begin to sort of settle down and when we begin to cope with coronavirus, those conversations will come to the fore again uh and yes we're yeah. having them in the background right now but you know the there will be a lot of learning from this time i, I hope
1: no no i absolutely agree i mean we're the funny thing is my, my I don't know where my fear from like disaster movies comes from well not disaster movies but like films like Bird Box or I don't know um, I love Armageddon that's one of the greatest so that doesn't scare me that's just wonderful but you know like those catastrophes uh, Day After
2: Tomorrow like,
1: oh, <laughs> yeah oh, oh my god it's let's coming a on that one. <laughs> it's that's a coming. Yeah, okay yeah fair play that is actually that's relevant but it is a that's a crap film isn't it, compared to Armageddon but you know <laughs> fine let's but not go I, there crikey I, <laughs> yeah yeah No. yeah we'll have, we'll have Bruce willis on the phone you don't want that he's a very angry man um <laughs> but i um yeah i i guess that it it's one of those things we talk about catastrophe you know with people are dying and our life our lifestyles are completely being reworked for the negative um i at least i think so and mm. if we talk about what could happen with global warming this is a this is this is one of it wouldn't it would it wouldn't it would be different obviously but it would still be a catastrophe so we're we're able to realign our minds with what catastrophe looks like so it might be that they go well remember that pandemic where it was it was just horrific well global warming you know there's there's no cure for that once it's here that's it once you have like the point past the point of no return that's it guys you know and i guess that's the kind of message right but then again i'm i'm not a professional like yourself but
2: that is that is the message but the, the message is also that that there isn't much time that there is some time and you know the quicker we respond and I'm talking about response on every level so partly it's about changing our individual mindset and making little differences which we've seen we can do over these three weeks some of them are uncomfortable some of them people are really beginning to enjoy so it's it's a balance and it's also about governments getting involved as well you know it has to be bottom up and top down that's how change is going to happen and people often say that to me they say well what's the point in me um changing to a um you know electricity supplier that is completely renewable when we've got governments bashing through ice caps in order to be able to open up trade routes you know um it has to come from 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 everybody which this pandemic is doing you know the government are saying you can't do this and people are going all oh, right we can't do that because it will put strain on yeah. the nhs and it'll result in much 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 wider uh, sadness and you know destruction for humanity yeah. at the same time you know it has to come from the individual so it, i think there's a lot of learning um, and if we could take some good from from these few few weeks as i say hopefully not months um we should yeah
1: no absolutely and it's just just to touch a, a little bit more on that, just the um, pollution maps, what you were talking about, or the, the global warming maps and the, mm. s- the, the empty skies, it's, that's got to inspire people, surely, you know. I mean. But that, that said, what's <laughs> going to happen is people are going to go, Jesus Christ, man, I haven't done a goddamn thing in like two, three months. When's the nearest flight to Greece? Whatever, Turkey, whatever, we're going. That's...
2: Yeah, and I, I yeah, I think, you know, um, it's people's freedom as well and, and people that are lucky enough and have enough money to do that. Um, that is their freedom at the moment as things stand. Um, I think it's probably good that I, I am not in power. I don't want to leave the country at this stage anyway, <laughs> but also <laughs> I might be quite, quite strict about how often you can go on a yeah, flight and yeah. things like that. But I think what the learning for this is, it, it, there probably will be a spike, I think, when everything's lifted and people can fly again what we don't need to be doing are those you know two day trips to america to have a business meeting that can be done over zoom because it has been done over zoom for yeah, the last yeah, 3 yeah, weeks yeah. so why on earth you know are the companies and people who can afford it making that trip it's not a necessary thing you know it does it have any benefit well your business has kept going you know over skype for Five, yeah, five exactly. weeks, isn't it? You know, they're the things that we need yeah, to change you know, immediately, and I hope we will. You know, yeah, companies no, can I save
1: think, money. You're bang on, man. It's absolutely right. And and um, was it Prince William was saying that this morning? But just because Prince William says it doesn't mean that it's posh and wrong. I love that guy. I don't care. I love that guy. Mind you, we're the same age, same name.
2: <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you and him. Yeah.
1: Are um
2: <laughs> But let, let's get back to, yeah. to to you
1: because. um You've got, you've got an interesting old, old story. When, when did like the interest, I mean, it's cause it's not, it's not an interest is it? I, I should imagine because I'm, I'm massively into, to nature. Like I said, I'm a gardener. I, I grew up in the countryside. I'm obsessed with Scotland. I live in yeah. uh, central, well not central, Where do I live, you live in now? Southeast London, which is goes against e- everything that is um, okay. in me. And whenever I go to the countryside, especially this time of year, it's like, dear Jesus, what am I doing in this city where where did it start
2: <laughs> but you must see wildlife in in london you must see wildlife. what do you see oh oh
1: oh yeah sure Lindsay. i see i, I put bird food out for three weeks now we have one fat pigeon that's it that's all we have you know <laughs> one fat pigeon called norman i'm just making the name up we i don't know what his name is you know he hasn't said but like <laughs> there's, there's, there's not, we have parakeets and we don't even have hedge sparrows yep. you know it's def, it's it's so dead here you know mm-hmm. you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna list off how many birds you can just see right now right
2: um do you do you know what i think that I am one of those people that is saying um gosh not it amazing the amount of bird song you can hear now that the the roads are, are clearer and i actually i actually um lay in my garden last week. For in the sunshine, because it's very sunny in the north yeah. at the moment, we got it all yeah. um, I lay on my back in the garden and I saw a plane and for the full time of it going over my head which was, you know, a couple of minutes I just lay there and my brain went it's a plane. What's that <laughs> doing? It's not, t- it's not taking anybody <laughs> anywhere. Um, yeah. You know, is it doing food supplies? Like, what is that doing? And I yeah. just, you never do that because you're so used to them being there. So I lay there and watched this plane. And then as it went over my head, there was a black dot in the sky. And I was like, oh, what's that? And it was a buzzard on a thermal yeah, and as I lay there, I found two of the black dots higher up than the one that I'd seen. They were little tiny specks, and there were three buzzards really high up in the thermals. And I just wouldn't have seen those without the spectacle of a plane going over and my lockdown brain sort of saying that's a bit strange. So yeah, yeah I'm 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 lucky, you know. My my garden isn't full of wildlife though. Even though I live out of the centre of Manchester, I live sort of between Manchester and Warrington. Uh-huh. Um, you know the streets here were very insular when it comes to our space and our garden so there are, yeah. you know there's there's a lot of green but there's also a lot of fences there's a lot of sort of blocking things off and wildlife needs to travel through habitats um so i you know i've, I've put some hedgehog holes shh, uh, between me and the neighbors <laughs> so and to open up those those passages i've got a couple of long tail tips love... about loads of sparrows starlings and Blackbird, oh beautiful
1: song that's so that's so wonderful that's such a, a lovely bbc presenter thing to say like you know don't mean to pigeonhole you obviously no pun intended but um you know <laughs> I've, I've, I've dug a few hedgehog holes that's that's so you know maybe we, i should be doing that you know but um i'll be i'll be one i'm one of those guys i'll be paranoid that i've dug it and then he's gone under my fence and in, into someone that hates hedgehogs or something. no one hates hedgehogs no one does no you one know, hates hedgehogs what are you
2: talking you about you know, yeah yeah, exactly. yeah 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 no one hates hedgehogs it's just about opening it's about opening up those spaces you know <laughs> yeah, I'm a yeah. renegade for cutting holes in in other people's fences
1: watch watch <laughs> out people Lindsay's coming um so when did it <laughs> when did it when did it all start I mean, is it a mum or a dad that sort of said look this this is nature this is wonderful was it a slow sort of you know realization of your environment or
2: I think it's just what I always what I always did yeah so um I've got a sister and she in fact a lot of my family work in the environment i didn't i i took a big break from it actually i went and trained to be an actor i was much more into literature and and theater and yeah. sort of ideas but but i grew up with the natural world and i just spent i basically spent a lot of my childhood up a tree or on my bike somewhere um with my sister and my mum my and dad used to take us out so we did have that access and we had that freedom and when you ask people that question you know i get asked that quite a lot and you tend to find that that's where it comes from, you know, having a parent, often a grandparent actually, um at a young age to sort of show you those things, or maybe a sibling as well, my sister's, as I say, really into outdoor stuff um but we didn't we didn't do any studying of the natural world, and I've never done that, I've never done a zoology degree, it was yeah. much more a sort of learned and practical knowledge, so you know we used to make long logs of the uh, bird life that we could see in our garden just because that was what was going on not because we yeah. were like oh yes let's do a biological study just like oh that's cool look at that and that's built a nest.
1: yeah a bit more look rock and roll so uh, a bit more rolling stones yeah. rather than like you know uh Tchaikovsky yeah yeah yeah,
2: yeah I suppose so I suppose so. I think you learn a lot about a tree if you're stuck up it <laughs>
1: absolutely yeah well because i'm I'm, you know for me it'd be like you know playing in like little brooks and making dams and seeing newts or something when i was younger i mean i remember my dad my mum and dad sort of making this huge map of our local field and we'd like yeah like you like document all the the things we could find in it but that that didn't last forever i i I can remember it but it wasn't like a a staple of of our diet more it was more long country walks um out literally out of our front of our front door and being immersed in it And it's only sort of now since um, moving away that I've learned to appreciate it. I mean, do you, is it something, is it kind of like a cord almost, like an umbilical link between you and you and the countryside that's that's always always there? You know, it's like it always reminds you of who you are.
2: I think that's um, a good way of describing it, yes, because I you know, like I say, as I was a teenager, other things crash into your life and you become interested in different things. But um, I think I've always found a a freedom in the natural world. So yeah, if I've got a big decision to make, um, or if I just need some space, then I definitely, you know, I'll go outside. Uh, I've actually, back in East Yorkshire, I've got places that I go to, to sort of think through big decisions. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm really missing the sea during lockdown. I cannot tell you that's the first thing I'm going to do when we're allowed to sort of move and move freely again i'm going to go to the uh to the coast you know the the yorkshire coast and just look at the sea because that that has a sort of very deep connection um but yeah i I sea? i don't i don't really know i think it's just sort of something that is integral to who i am it just the sound of it just calms me down um i swim in the sea a lot you know i think there's a massive freedom um and also this sort of i don't know this this is going to sound so cheesy but there's something sort of so, that's sort of so huge about the natural world um and and the sea you know it goes on and on and on that that makes what the problems that you're having or the thoughts that you're having it sort of puts it into perspective a little bit um and it just allows me to to think well right this is where i am right now and, and this could happen or that could happen but there will be a way through it so you know let, let's take the next step and see see where that leads um yeah. and yeah, i, I, I think c- there's c- a great Sorry, freedom no. in that you know
1: yeah no absolutely I, I completely agree like when i i i was having a pretty rough time in my life and I, I i went to uh thailand to um volunteer at dog sanctuary and it just so happened that it was also very close to the to the beautiful um phuket uh, coastline and stunning sunsets every night and you know i just it just working with the animals but all, with the dogs but also just these this gorgeous you know ocean it's just yeah the two it completely renewed me you know i have that absolute mm. connection with that but it's um do you know what though i I do get the feeling that um there's going to be a lot of you know there will be the, the silver lining of this will be made apparent when this is all over i mean i'm certainly you know i i, I started recording my last podcast um was just like 30 seconds of silence outside my window and it sounded like the bloody countryside you know that's one silver lining at the moment but the other one would be when this is all over we can all you don't know what you've got till it's gone um kind of thing so you you going yeah. to, to back to the coastline and what have you or just being able to have you know a <laughs> you you'll be able to sort of you know give give your co-presenter a hug as opposed to a weird I don't know, wave. Yeah, I mean,
2: reasons. it's always a difficult one with Chris Packham because he's not a hugger. No, um, definitely not. You've got to approach that uh, pretty carefully. <laughs> yeah, don't touch me. But yeah, yeah. That, that's, a, that's also a massive That's a massive deal to me. I found out in the first week of lockdown that I am very much a people person and yeah. just sort of being in an office or, you know, being around people in a lift or whatever. Like, I get energy from other people. Um, so i find that really strange going for a walk in the countryside and people give you such a wide berth you know you think oh no but hopefully that'll that'll come
1: back and for some it's like a blessing but what
2: um yeah Yeah, chris is probably very excited by that (laughs) right i was gonna
1: say he did that documentary recently on seven billion people in the world or whatever it was called and oh god he was it was so funny how he was just like you know he's pretty much in self-isolation then anyway but um what so because you talked talked about acting um i do have and... to say
2: just as we finish that though i have to say yeah. that chris is one of the best people people that i know and he always sort of says he prefers um animals wild animals to humans and he's he's just brilliant with people uh, i think uh, it's just his preference
1: <laughs> yeah yeah i think a lot of people do anyway I, sorry f- funny kids but yeah i funny. i said funny kids what the hell am i talking about i think that's the the, the, the caffeine like is coming in or something god strange have you just got one here.
2: have you got one one small person with you one child it,
1: it's just one it's just one and it's enough and that
2: yeah christ <laughs> so i intense. don't
1: i don't know how anybody does more than one even even with with you know no lockdown zero lockdown it two is too much you, know, <laughs> you can't even give you can't even give one you couldn't even give one away to a grandparent you know you'd be scared of spreading the virus or whatever it's like good god but,
2: sorry yeah, just interrupting your line of thought there but um, no no it's yes. fine it's
1: fine no I, i'm just Small quite interested people, in in your line they're um, intense because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i i just think um it's, it's interesting that you 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 do so well in in front of camera and you, you do you know you love people you bounce off it so well and you've got that natural um love and, and passion for nature which some people say they have but they don't realize just quite how much you you do that. Na- you really need a passion for it, um, mm. because a lot of the time, I suppose, in a way, it's kind of like religion. You ask it questions, it doesn't answer back, and when it does, it answers back in really weird ways. But mm. um, I think well, you know that's if you're religious or not, I suppose. But um, it where where do you think your like acting background and your presenting? When did that come together like that? The acting, oh, I could I could do the presenting thing instead of and, and move away from the acting. When did when did that all happen?
2: That's a great question. Um, so I, I sort of found acting at secondary school, like I say, I, I play a lot of sport, I love sport, and there was a real freedom in that for me. And then um, none of my family are actors. They would rather, you know, run a mile. Uh, something else came into my head then, and I thought, can not say that? Um, <laughs> they, they would rather be as far away from a stage as they possibly can than right, stand up yeah. in front of, you know, hundreds of people. But for some reason... Uh, again, I found a, a real freedom in that and sort of generating a character, being somebody else and being on stage. Um, and I very much believe that theatre was the sort of pinnacle of that, you know, that incredible live response that you get from an audience. Uh, and I trained a bit in TV, um, but always felt that was a bit secondary. I sort of thought, well, it's not the art of creating live theatre. Um darling exactly and there is nothing like that live experience you know with a sort of room full of people it's ancient it's storytelling you know but um i what happened was i accidentally so i'd sort of trained as an actor and i was working across the country as an actor and i I was enjoying it um but i actually accidentally ended up doing a bit of um live stage presenting about um sharks and fish for the bbc at um big event they ran an event in Leeds and they needed someone to be a live presenter on a green screen with lots of kids and I sort of did did two days doing that and then sort of went I absolutely love this and I'm not hiding behind a character I'm being completely myself because that's what presenting is you have to be you and you have to open yourself up to that because the audience know if you put a shield up there's something that isn't, doesn't quite connect, you know, so you've got to yeah. be completely you when you're presenting. And um, I thought, God, this is brilliant. I'm absolutely loving doing this. And yeah. then I got in touch with the BBC Children's Department and said, I don't think you make any programmes for very young children telling them it's okay to be outside, which is what I did when I was little. Like, it's okay to, it's okay to climb a tree and jump in a puddle and squidge about in mud. In fact, it's fantastic. um so they let me make a pilot about um doing a big outdoor treasure hunt and i abseiled out a massive oak with five (laughs) (laughs) four-year-olds i did not write the risk assessment for that somebody else had to do it um (laughs) but it was that that was the moment for me where i just sort of went this is what i should be doing and this is what i really love doing um And as I was making that programme, I got in touch with Springwatch because I said to the BBC, you know, I want to speak to the Natural History Unit in Bristol. They are the experts in making these kind of programmes. And I spoke to who I thought was the researcher at Springwatch, who turned out to be the series producer at Springwatch, who then got back in touch with me six months later and said, look, you know that you're really into the outdoors and and connecting young people with nature. Well, we've got a very small role coming up. Do you want to audition? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, so I, was, I nearly deleted that email actually because oh, um, yeah. I was at work and it was just like the smallest email and I, he was called James Smith and he's a he's brilliant producer but you know I just I didn't really it didn't connect in my head and I was like James Smith what's another you know what's this email right yeah. I didn't delete it and he continues to be an excellent man
1: <laughs> brilliant yeah no yeah you're yeah. one of those sort of ones where you go is this, is this junk what, what do you mean transfer funds you know um <laughs> That's, it was like that. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's awesome. So I, I presume that's like this little acorn that led to a bigger bigger deal.
2: Yeah, exactly yeah. right, exactly right. And, you know, I, I will absolutely always love theatre and I'm very lucky I get to cross over the worlds of art and nature. That's, you know, I do a lot of that. Um, I've just made two programmes about that for Radio 4. And I think mm. the fact that there are many, many crossovers for me between uh, our sort of creative brain and our scientific natural history brain you know um so it's pretty wonderful to be able to bring those two things
1: i agree i think no two worlds are are separate i think like you know you can always make links between you know you just you just gotta um i'm not strain to look, but you know, you just got to have the ability, the foresight, or just—I don't know—just bit of intuition, just to be able to go. Oh, yeah, you know, there's a bit of science in everything. Well, there's definitely a bit of science in everything. I mean, that goes without saying. But you know, and and I love yeah. the way that they, they, they cross pollinate and, and breed into each other. But I, um but yeah, no, I, I wonder who was because I, I, I used to do a bit of acting as well at secondary school, but never followed it through. I did the old lambda exams and kicked ass. I got like yeah. honors and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> But you know, your parents don't. Parents don't think of that as a serious job, do they? They go, "Oh, you know what? I <laughs> want my kid to do. I want them to struggle for their entire life." You know, um, no, yeah. go go and garden or go and do whatever the hell, but don't ever think about acting. But um, what it, what, what, what roles did you like get into the most? What did you love the most?
2: What roles did I get into the most? Yeah, yeah, Shakespeare. Yeah, um, yeah, and and again, oh, that's something for me. I, I don't, I don't. I don't want to do something where there's a set path um that has always been a, a bit of a sort of thing for me is that I want to do something that's difficult and I want uh, wh- whenever anybody said at school you don't want to be an actor and even at drama school this is going to be really hard I know that and yet I'm still here um you know I, yeah. I sort of relish the opportunity to do something that maybe not everybody can do uh, and that applies to lots of different jobs but in my career it's that you know in a play and this is hard enough in a play there are there are 10 characters and you've got to try and get cast as one in a production. There's one presenter, you know, fly me. Why, why make that choice? But um, yeah, <laughs> I think that challenge is something that keeps me going, you know, and, and and continues to, I'm always pitching and sort of saying, what can I do next in terms of um, theater roles? I once played Anne Frank in the diary of Anne Frank. Oh wow! Um, yeah. And I have to say that was the most, inspirational journey to go on as an actor um because that girl and the way that she wrote in the circumstances she was in um is is absolutely astonishing uh, mm-hmm. and I just I went on a real journey and, and we had a very sort of immersive theater practitioner working with us so she made us wear Jew stars Judah stars and and go and sort of walk around outside the drama school and, and people look at you because they're like, what are you doing? You know, oh, and you, okay. you do yeah, begin yeah. to feel it was incredible. And we were very careful with it. You know, we, we, it was all very sort of controlled. We weren't just walking around the center of Birmingham because that would have uh, created some disruption. I'm sure. But a little bit. Was, yeah. Yeah. It was just, it was very carefully done, but it was to get that feeling of you. You're not the same as everybody else. And people are looking at you and they're putting you in a different category. And, I just I can't imagine how we can do that to other human beings and to be put in that situation and and feel people look at you and thinking what is that person doing um, and it's sort infor- of yeah, take it on from there right? as an actor yeah wow yeah it was it was incredible and yeah. I think you know we did a lot of a lot of stuff that sort of made us really get into that role and I I was really sad when I left Am that sounds a bit poncy as well but you sort of get to know when you left, get, you when know, you left this, where. When I left, I'm going to take my phone to a charger. Is that going to change the quality of the sound?
1: Only if you hold it underwater, you know. Okay. Or scream down the phone or something.
2: I need the charger up at the same time. Just just because, you know, when you're an actor, when you're in a role, you spend time with that character and you go into being a different person for a while. Definitely. Um, Even if it is Anne Frank, you know. Well, yeah, I can never be Anne Frank. I wasn't trying. I was an actor at the time. You know, I couldn't be her. But I was portraying her on stage, yeah, um, that, that, yeah. and you've done so much reading. You've done so much sort of exploration of the time and the people and the faith. And, and I just, I just missed her when when I stopped doing that role because she's an incredible, incredible human being.
1: Yeah, well, it's in a, yeah. It's uh, do you know what? A, a, I, I've never read the diaries of Anne Frank ever, and I mean, you should, you should. Yeah. Honestly,
2: it's brilliant. Yeah,
0: I've,
2: I, she's so but, eloquent. She's so eloquent for a girl that is stuck, you know, and under great persecution. Ah, amazing. Yeah. amazing. And obviously, but, darling, I'd like to play Hamlet, of course. Yes,
1: of course, the first female <laughs> Hamlet. But there's probably already been a female Hamlet.
2: There's surely. been many. There's been
1: right, there you go. See, yeah. ignoramus over here, you know. Because um, what, what interests me is um, female presenting, because, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but is it is it harder in the industry, in the for for a, for a female presenter who wants to to get ahead in this in this world uh in terms of like what you know what we've all realized over the past three or four years well not three or four years but you know the the me too movement um it 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 has highlighted a lot of a lot of injustice do you feel like i'm not, i'm not saying like you would have uh, you know list list all the times you've been pissed off because of men and stuff but like it almost sort of like, um, what would you call it? The word, um, subjectively speaking, do you think that it's getting better? Like for for, for your, for your gender?
2: Um, I think that, um, I definitely think it's harder for female presenters. Yes, I do. Um, Mm. categorically. Yes, I do. Um, I do think it's getting easier and I think there has been a redress of balance not only towards female presenters but also towards the BAME community as well, which is very important. You know, if you're watching a TV programme, you want to feel connected to it, you want to feel represented by it. So not that long ago, as a um, young female northern woman. young female and northern and also woman um (laughs) I definitely didn't woman twice I definitely feel like I wasn't represented and you know that does make programs harder to watch because you sort of think well you don't know what it's like to be me um and you're not really coming at it from my angle I definitely (laughs) think that that's changing you know I've got a lot of friends that are um female women presenting in sport (laughs) and uh (laughs) that's great to see as well like i'm a sporty woman i want to see women women talking to me about sport um so yeah that is changing and there are programs out there to help that you know i'm sure some people would think it was beginning to go too far the other way and in saying oh well you're only giving her a job because she's a Uh, woman i i really disagree with that i i believe and i hope that presenters at the end of the day are getting the jobs because they're the best person for the job you know that is how it should be done there has to be a representation there but it should be best person for the job having said that um, in my industry I have personally felt um, you know situations where I know that if I was a man people wouldn't have spoken to me in the way they have spoken to me that decisions wouldn't have been made in the way they have been made yeah. Um, and it's just about how you navigate that. So whether you um, call it out at that time, whether there's a better way to to do that, um, and just where you where you place yourself. Um, and I lear- you know, I'm I'm learning about that all the time and how to navigate those routes. Really, I think it's a good question. Um, yeah. I think it's improving, but I think there's further to go on Twitter
1: as well. You know, the how some guys. Are going to say something on presenting such and such a show and then they're going to get fine you know they're not going to get any grief or whatever on twitter and then the female presenter mm. will get absolutely tirades of abuse yeah. you know that's more of an observation
2: yeah I, I do i think i'm i think i've been relatively i think i've been relatively lucky there because um certainly the sort of natural world audience uh they're pretty you know they're pretty excited by amazing wildlife so I, yeah. I don't get loads of criticism um it's quite interesting that you i do get asked quite a lot about um where the outfits <laughs> i'm wearing where they're from right. <laughs> but that's okay that's cool um uh, you know and, and half of them are from charity shops because that's just what i do that's great. um but you know I, I, yeah, it is as cool, but I, I also put outfits together. You know, I, I enjoy, I don't feel because I'm a wildlife presenter that I need to wear a fleece all the time. In fact, I positively yeah. don't want to wear a fleece. <laughs> Keep that
1: North right. face away from me.
2: Um, so I, you know, I,
1: yeah,
2: Yeah. I'll be warm and you know, all that jazz, but I'll also, I'm also interested in, you know,
0: Yeah.
2: aspects of style and, and, and who I am and expressing that and all that jazz. Um. So, yeah, that is a bit of a difference. I I just think that, um, you know, in different worlds, the sort of ingrained difference between um, male and female and and the sort of passage of time and how it's always been, that is is changing in the presenter world. But I do think there's definitely still a sort of, you, you know, and I have experienced it, there are moments where I think, wow, if I was a man, I'm pretty sure you wouldn't have addressed yeah. that to me in that way. Um, and I never approach situations like that. I, I always think it doesn't it doesn't matter to me whether you're male or you're female. You know, I, um, I don't really see that. I believe that anybody can do any job, you know, and I would want to be um, sort of subjected to the same criteria as as. Yeah a man doing any job you know ask me the same questions yeah. give me the same interview um yeah. and I'll, I'll do an equal job um but it, you know it's it's a very it's a tough business to be in you've got to have a bit yeah. of grit that's for sure um you know i'm a, I'm a people yeah. person i'm quite sensitive so that can be hard but i also think well i know that i'm good at what i do so have, i'm have, just gonna keep going so but, go yeah you, you you, you learn a lot very quickly. You do learn a lot very quickly and you sort of have to, I was reading an article in the stage about it the other day, actually saying that um, sometimes people have to sort of change and adapt to their situation or to what they're saying to funders yeah. in order to get that money. And that isn't yeah, how it absolutely. should be.
1: I mean, you, know? you you sort of say like, um, you, you know, you're a sensitive person, what have you. It's quite interesting. Like I, how do you, how do you feel like that comes across in like your handling of, because, you work in an industry that's just full of rejection, right? It's just constant. Like you know, either trying to get a job, or you know, prior to where you are now, obviously, because you know you're doing really well. I just, it, how, how in the past have you dealt with that? Like, is it, is it, does it come? Has it come a point where you're like, I just can't <laughs> do this anymore? But you've kept going, you know.
2: Um, I've never got to the point where I've said I can't do this anymore, but I've definitely got to the point where. I've thought, this is really hard, and why isn't something you know, moving for me or breaking for me? And I've also had points where doors have just opened, and I've walked through them. So you know, I think people say it's a lot of, of who you know, and that's definitely true. It's a lot of luck in there, and at the last minute, it's what you know. So you have to be good enough to do that job. So once yeah. you've, you've done the groundwork and the pitching and the sort of talking to people and you've had that element of luck come in you have to be good enough to deliver, you know, and that's when it all comes together for a presenter. But, yeah. you know, in terms of how do you take those knockbacks? Well, it's very precar- precarious and, and you, you've got to be willing to expose yourself in a normal way, uh, you know, to sort of put yourself out there and say, this is me, this is who I am, this is what I can offer you. And then, you know, lots of times people say no, and, and that can... That can be to do with the timing of it, or that they need yeah. um, an older person to present it, or they want, um, you know, somebody with somebody from Ireland, whatever it might be, uh, for that We need we need programme. Bill
0: Oddie. Yeah.
2: We need we need Bill Oddie. I've worked with Bill Oddie, you know, and, and oh, sometimes mate. you, I love that you guy. need Bill Oddie. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Um,
2: and f- for those for those circumstances, that that is out of your control, you know. And that was the same with acting. I cannot be somebody else. I can only be me, um, mm. you know, and some of them you've got to walk away and just go, right, well, I couldn't, I couldn't do that. I couldn't be that. Others are more galling where you think I could definitely do that. Why have they given it to that person? Well, they might know somebody or it, it, they might just be more suited to the job, you know, and then you've yeah. got to bounce back and say, right, so what is the next thing for me and where do I fit in and who shall I talk to? You've got to be tenacious about it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, because there are, you have a lot of um, you have a lot of people that um, love and adore you for, for you know, kids as well. Obviously, you, you have such a great connection. What would you what advice would you give to anyone younger, say, than 38? Um, that's my age, by the way, uh, <laughs> approaching 40. Fine with it. I'm fine with it. You're um, looking grand. <laughs> I am, aren't I? It's the books as well behind it, it's
2: me. It's the beautiful books.
1: <laughs> yeah what um what advice would you give to any um young aspiring presenters
2: i would say um have ideas that's what i would say um and i also think path of least resistance and this is gold people like write this down so um (laughs) (laughs) so i would say um people want good ideas and you know if it's already happening someone's already doing that job so there probably isn't a space for you there so you need to go away and think right what can i do what ideas have i got how do i open that door and the other thing path of least resistance is you've got a busy producer out there who's got 50 films that they're thinking about and which one shall we do oh this person's already made their film and they've uh, researched it and they've edited it and they've done all that for free. You know, this is when you're younger in your career and they have presented me with something that is brilliant and I don't have to do any work. Fantastic, we'll use that. You know, sort of what what can you do for other people? Not what they can do for you all the time, who's going to give you a job on the the one show or whatever, but what can you offer them, I think, is the way to approach it.
1: Yeah, no, that's good. Don't don't bring me uh, problems. Bring me solutions.
2: Yeah yeah
1: right I've, al- I've always loved that because it's such a truth and it's so bloody annoying because it's so damn right I but that, that
2: means that means you've got to do the hard work you know you've got to be blindly. Yeah. if you've got to be willing to do that you know <laughs>
1: yeah yeah you've got to have that like uh, what what interests me when you're speaking earlier is about the um you know you can in presenting you, you know you can have luck you've got to have luck you've got to be in right position right time blah blah, blah. but right down at the end you've got to have that knowledge so when you what, what's it like when the camera rolls and presumably you're with Chris Packham someone who's like and, and others obviously but you know live, it live it must be surely one of the most terrifying but exciting things in the world.
2: Yeah it's the best thing in the world it's the best yeah. thing in the world so I do lots of pre-recorded television and radio but there is nothing like doing live and that's where <laughs> theatre comes back into it that's where all that sort of training that I did that I thought I was going to be an actor and I'm not anymore you know but that's where it comes in because there's a you know I sort of you have a connection with the floor you take a deep breath you I always have a moment in every production always in the middle of a live where I should be thinking about the next bit of what we're doing where I just look around me and go this is happening and this is now and this is who I am and what I do and you know I've no idea what the producer's saying to me at that time, or what Chris has just said, or whatever. Probably quite important,
0: but I have that moment.
2: Yeah, Yeah, I have that moment just to sort of go, "This is an ace," and I'm so lucky to be doing this. Um, You know, and then we carry on. But you definitely get nervous. If you don't get nervous, you know, that's it. That's a tool. That's your body getting you ready for stuff. And then as soon as we're off and we're live, it's like it's like flying, you know. And and on wow, yeah. when i when i did spring watch we didn't have a script so did it all from memory um and again the sort of challenge of that is that's so fun
1: well I, I, hell yeah i mean that's that but you know what that's the thing about live telly that cannot be beaten like i absolutely love tv whether it's um match of the day fa cup live or whatever um and i know you do you do you do commentary for, for netball and what have you i just like that's what I want to see, you know. And all oh, oh, I used to love is F one. Where they, I don't watch F one, but I used to watch it for the, you know, for the guys walking around the cars and just riffing off the the owners or the drivers, and it was just like uh, love that kind of stuff, you know. Um, yeah. Never get, you know, you don't, you can't get better than live telly because it could go wrong at any time. But also, it gives you the opportunity to like. Yeah. to prat around a bit and people just <laughs> love it when people are human right people just love seeing people they love hearing about people's problems they love seeing people goof around they love you know when people are at their most vulnerable i guess it it's so yeah. much more fun you know oh my I mean, goodness me
2: they love it when it goes wrong they love it when it goes wrong and they're the best they're the best moments you know people say to me what do you do when it goes wrong best moments yeah. because that's when your brain really kicks in and it's when the best tv yeah. happens yeah. definitely
1: like <laughs> there's a bird over there um it's oh god uh, grass let's talk about the uh <laughs> i just i'd melt oh my god I, I mean i can't lie i'd love to give it a go because yeah. I'm, I'm a bit of a i'm a bit of a goofy guy but i'd, I'd love oh my god you know but have the you other tried thing commentary
2: that, have you tried have you ever tried commentators you, you said you like sports
1: yeah i have but honestly like oh god you've you've got to have you know you've got people like clive bloody Tilsley for crying out loud you know um not Motson, i'm not a Big fan, of John Watson. But you know people like Barry Davis. Do you remember Barry Davis? Barry Davis. He, 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 <laughs> Wimbledon. He did it. He did one. He did a com- commentary on Wimbledon a couple of years ago or something. It was like one match, maybe I can't remember. But it was spectacular. It was absolutely spectacular. What, 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 what got you into? I mean, I know you love netball, but what got you into commentary? Was that just like a, a, a like a childhood like ambition, or was it just something that came up?
2: Um. so i when i was young i wanted to run in the olympics like that was what i was going to do i was going to be a hundred meter sprinter for team gb and then i got to secondary school and there were loads of people faster than me and i was like how dare they that's not going to be what i do um but you know i've always loved sport and and i played netball since i was five years old um and then Last year was the Netball World Cup, so I, I followed netball. I followed England netball for years. I saw Tracy Neville when I was 14 years old, and I still have her autograph. She's, you know, was the England coach for the Netball World Cup. Um, but again, it's sort of it, it's those things coming together. So a year before the Netball World Cup, the BBC were beginning to look for commentators because there was, you know, it was sort of women in sport were, were really coming to the fore, and we knew that um, it was going to be in Liverpool. It was sort of the perfect storm. And because it's a a sport that's not, you know, it's not a sort of mainstream sport, um, they didn't have very many commentators for it. So I've I've worked for Five Live. I knew some of the sports team. And um, a friend of mine was sitting next to the producer and she said, oh, we need some more netball commentators. Do you know any? Um, and, And my friend said, well, she's not a commentator as such, but, you know, Lindsay knows netball inside out. She plays netball twice a week and she does live TV and radio. Um, And so they auditioned me, you know, it wasn't a question of, oh, here you go, have a job. Um, It was quite a stringent audition process. And I said to them, I would love to do this, but you need to give me a bit of training because those guys you've just mentioned, you know, Caroline Barker, who does the Sky commentary, wonderful, wonderful commentators. So I had a little bit of, training and then i did a lot of my own research ahead of the world cup and then somehow in july last year found myself commentating the netball world cup final which was decided in the last 15 seconds one goal difference you know and they're oh like
1: oh my god yeah what
2: what a moment you know and that's when the live brain takes over and all the all the sort of years of just loving something allows allows you i don't think about any of it you just saying what you're seeing you know and and sort of trying to encapsulate that moment and uh yeah it form, would have been better if form it had been words.
1: <laughs> right yeah like form form words that you just people that are gonna latch on because i was talk, like i said i was talking to agas yesterday and he was um you know i was saying to him like when england won the world cup last summer you know how do you you know how do you get because he's very boyish with his commentary sometimes when he gets really excited like we all do you know how for you like how do you control that emotion when it is just on a knife edge you know you're trying to and also trying to think how do I describe this in a not necessarily poetic but in a in a memorable way you know yeah. there's so many yeah you
2: know. and, and that's you know he he's a master and I think um I'm always learning and and listening and watching. I love tennis, like you. You know, I I love the Wimbledon commentaries, particularly listening to radio commentary actually, because they're trying to give that description all the time, different to TV. It's amazing. You know, they cover every shot. Absolutely incredible. But I think in those last few minutes, and always in your commentary, it's it's slightly more difficult if it's if it is your team. So, for example, um, it was more difficult for me when England went out the World Cup. Um, They didn't make the finals, and we we really thought they were going to. And Mm. there you've got to sort of... Most people are England fans that are listening to a BBC netball commentary. You've got to take those fans... You know, you're feeling it yourself, but then when they don't win, you have to congratulate the team that have, and you have to have that moment with them. Um, But I think, you know, that aside... Netball often comes down to the wire and you've got to take the listening audience with you. So it's all you're always thinking um, at the end of a netball match, and it's usually close, score time, score time. That's all people care about. So I will say the score and the time every 20 seconds, which feels like such a lot but actually it not and then you'll try and bring the crowd in and you'll say over there they're all on their feet you know and all the everyone's yeah. sort of watching counting down <laughs> uh, and and then yeah your your brain just sort of takes over and and runs
1: yeah like would would you ever i don't know cuz would would you ever take up another sport commentary like um i i i, I'm, I absolutely love um women's hockey whenever mm-hmm. the olympics rolls around that's like probably my second no it's probably my favorite sport of the olympics um what was uh, you were gonna you know, what's your
2: first you were like I, I was gonna
1: say I was gonna say that's complete bullshit because I don't have a foot i I'd love it all so much so I'm basically wood hockey would always be the one but for some reason I just I just men's hockey's okay but it, it's 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 not got quite as much finesse and it's hard I think it's 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 just I think I have bad memories of, of male hockey because so I used to play it. And I used to get beaten the crap out of, and I smashed my face <laughs> up so many times on hockey oh ball. No.
0: Oh, um, for, uh, <laughs> you
1: can still do that in women's hockey, obviously. But um, in do. fact, like oh god, I remember Alex Danson. She got absolutely. Um, I can't remember what Olympics now, or maybe it was another player. But it's it just, would you? Yeah, I mean, I, I just think yeah. for me, like the world of commentary is so amazing. I'd be like. Once you've got your foot in the door, do you, would you? are you looking to expand on that, do you think?
2: I, I would like to. I would like yeah. – I'm also a big fan of women's hockey. I think it's yeah. um, superb. You know, those athletes are incredible and they are getting beaten, you know, uh, on a daily – compared to footballers who go down for a little tap, you know, the women's oh hockey God. team are getting a hit in the face and still mm-hmm. saying, no, I want to go back on. Um, yeah. You know, incredible. I would like to do that sport. I know a lot about hockey, so yes – um, I also like some of the more sort of random sports that come in at the Olympics. Um, you know, handball. Quite like to do handball. Handball. <laughs> handball That'd be be quite like. cool. I got That'd into that cool. as well. Yeah, I
0: got into that's, that as
2: well. I don't know what. I don't know whether this happens to you, but do you become an overnight expert during the um, Olympics? Because of I course, go from knowing yeah. nothing about diving to being like, oh, he's over rotated that one. Yeah, no, that's not going to do well. <laughs>
1: I think that's because you're a sports freak, and that's what most sports freaks—that's what happens to us. You know that, that competitive edge. Is a, I can pretty much watch any sport in the world, and then, like you said, become an expert within roughly about 15 minutes. I was like the um, AFL, like um, Australian um, Aussie rules. I, I I watched about four games of that, and then suddenly I was like an expert. You know, <laughs> I, and I and but funnily enough, this lockdown, I'm not actually missing sport I know you're missing it because of the the actual combative nature of it like the actual physical in, in nature of yeah. it and being able to socialise and what have you but I um, I don't I don't miss watching the sport I don't know what that's all about like I, I would have thought oh no Champions League oh no Southampton I can't watch any of my teams or what have you but
2: what not about the Wimbledon, and the
1: Champions League. You no, Wimbledon I'm, I'm not going to be this is bad isn't it but I'm oh, not going to be fast I've, I've
2: actually but... <laughs> I've re-watched the uh Commonwealth Games from two years ago where England won the gold medal for the first time oh, really? in history uh, in the last, well, actually it was overtime because Helen Housby retook a penalty, but um, I've rewatched that. So I think I am missing it.
1: Yeah. And I think a lot of people are doing that. Like they, They've replayed the, I think, the fourth test match from um, Heading, um, wherever it was, Headingley last, last summer, the one where Ben Stokes essentially just won the game on his own did both Ian them, and they replayed the whole thing and I listened to a bit of it and it was like being there again and I had to pinch myself a couple of times and a lot of people are what happens in sport is it all moves so bloody quickly right it's it's just literally non-stop if you want to follow sport you can follow it all year round all, all the time so it's offering us an opportunity to, to actually stop reflect on our, you know the most poignant or most important moments in sport or the most enjoyable moments in sport You know, and we haven't had that opportunity before because we're constantly being asked to not forget, but, you know, get on with the next thing, get on with the next test match, get on with the next cricket, um, tennis match, you know, or or tournament. And Mm. it's never get a chance to reflect. I'm waffling. I'm waffling.
2: (laughs) I think, you know, I think I think people love live TV, you know, and and things like um, I think Springwatch works because it is offering live cameras at a specific time. Yeah. Bits of nature that we can't see. Live sport works because there are those tournaments and um, leagues in place and we want to sort of watch the development of that. Um, I've heard rumours that they're going to replay the 2012 uh, Olympics this summer because there should be an Olympic oh, summer. Um, so really? that'll be interesting as to where, whether they do and whether people go back to it because it, we know who wins, you know.
1: But, but, you know, there are other stories that we didn't all pay attention to. And I, I've heard that they're playing the, the, the ITV, they've got the uh, Euro 96 and stuff. Yes. Um, it's just a no-brainer once you start thinking about it because it's, there are so many things and nuances that you forgot in, in matches. And, and also it, it offers you the... Because when you're terrified of watching your team that's how I am whenever i watch my team play i'm just terrified you know it's not a team playing it's just terror in front of me um you you know what's going to happen that the the fear factor is taken away so you could just essentially go like oh well i can you know i can but do this in that's not live sport.
2: Way. you've got to have you know i remember when um, right. when andy murray won wimbledon i had to sit with my feet in a bucket of cold water because I got so stressed out <laughs> about the fact that he was, <laughs> he was so close. And I was like, I've got to sit down, and I've got to regulate my body temperature.
1: <laughs> okay, that's that's full on. That's, yeah. uh, who taught did, did, self-talk? It. Did you learn that from your mother, your grandmother or something? No, I don't or know.
2: You... I don't know what happened. But um, anyway, that's how I dealt uh, with that match. An,
1: an old Good farmer's time. trick or something. That is that is Good times. Is.
2: But um, when it comes to commentary, I feel, you know – I'd love to do tennis as well. I know a lot about tennis. Um, but yeah. that, for me, oh, I'm not sure I'd be able to do, like, the golf. What do you talk about? You know, the netball is... There's a goal every six yeah. seconds. So you've got a lot to talk about. Whereas with the golf, I'm like, do you talk about people's sandwiches? Like, what are you doing?
1: You talk about the green. You talk about the caddies. And, and geez, that's about it. I mean, you know, or... Oh God, I wouldn't know where to start. But I, I, am not really big golfer. I'm not a really big golf fan. But if I did
2: that, there'd have to be a a time limit. You've got ten seconds. Speed golf. You've got to take it. Go. (laughs) That'd be that'd be a good sport.
1: And yeah, I want I want a goal. At some point, there has to be a new thing in golf where people score goals. You know, a a net comes out somewhere. (laughs) You know, let's do it
2: all a bit faster. Crack on. Right.
1: Yeah. Just get on with it. Um okay well um I guess I've used up a lot of your time so it's probably time to go and what have you but um you know I I it is it's, it's great to have talked to you because of the the connection that I think all of us are making and it's such a nice timely uh, conversation that we're re, re, remaking with with nature and stuff.
2: Yeah. Um, no it's it's real lovely to talk to you about it you know and thank you for asking me insightful questions. I think you know, if we can take away from this time a greater connection or, or even an awareness of the natural world um, and what it gives us, you know, then that's a good thing to come of this. And there's a lot of heartache out there at the moment. But, um, you know, nature offers us a break from that. And, and my friends that live in the centre of, of Manchester and I lived there for 10 years are saying to me, the birdsong is outstanding. And it's always been there, uh, hmm. particularly because you know, the birds are louder in cities because they have to compete with the noise that's there and they're still trying to mate. So they it's louder in cities. And when you take away that traffic sound, they're still loud and they're yeah. offering, you know, a, a different world and a bit of a break. And it's pretty cool.
0: Yeah,
1: I'm just thinking about the birds that are really, really loud and the other birds going, Jesus, what's going on here? You're so loud already. Where, where are, <laughs> are the airplanes to shut this guy up?
2: Yeah, the you shouty, <laughs> shouty blackbirds. They're the ones. Yeah. They are there.
1: Oh, <laughs> God, there's no, nothing like them. Like. God, God bless them. But um, yeah, I Lindsay, You have
2: thanks. to ask you about your books. That's yeah. all right. Um, yeah. I just have to yeah. ask you about the books. So they are behind you and they're arranged yeah. in uh, colour order. How do yeah. you know where any of them are why isn't it arranged either by book title or by author like is well, it just an a, aesthetics
1: it's a show i can't actually read so it's all just a um it's a color thing for me you see okay uh, um i don't know i got bored once and i i mean can, can you imagine that bored now like how could anybody ever been bored pre-lockdown it's like the new definition of bored but i don't know i, I think it's a quite cool aesthetic but I don't know people should do it more if you know it especially lockdown
2: it looks ace yeah. but what i know is um do you know every book cover or how do you find one you know you've got to... a <laughs> um
1: I how do I find one what I do is I close my eyes and I feel the energy of the book and it comes to me that way okay I'm close with my books obviously I can give you I could give you a straight answer but um do you know do you know what? Um, uh, you really should read The Remains of the Day, but you should also read um this um one, Born Standing Up by Steve Martin. It's um <laughs> it is have you
2: just put is that was that just the closest one to you?
1: Yeah, but it's also I think my favourite one out of them all. It's one of the most incredible autobiographies. It's so funny and so honest. Like not enough not enough people read this stuff. You know, I think it's all like cross pollination. Like, cross-pollination. like you should, people should read more autobiographies of people completely outside of their normal like sphere and spectrum you know um sorry when chris packham ever references like jesus and mary chain live or wherever i always just go yes i love that band such a cool reference i love it whenever anybody references something personal to them that's a bit like outside of the um what their subject they're talking about you know yeah
2: well, I think you've bridged, um, you know, nature and art and netball pretty well because people get that I'm into nature and art. But then when I also say, oh, by the way, I'm one of the BBC's lead experts on netball. They're like, no, it's too much. We don't understand you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, um, oh, man, it's been so great chatting to you. Um, yeah, you
2: too. Thanks um, very much. I've enjoyed yeah,
1: it. No and And really the best of luck throughout all this lockdown and beyond, obviously. You too. Um, you too. I hope yeah. your family
2: are all okay. It's um, Cheers. Weird old time. When, what what ha- happens to the podcast? When can I hear Aggers? Um, What's happening?
1: I- Aggers is next week and I think the week after that I've got um, a guy called Preston from The Ordinary Boys, um, singer. Uh, you you yeah. might remember them from back in the day. I and, know The Ordinary um, Boys, yeah. Yeah. I'm hip. I'm cool. And, um and then yeah you, you'll probably be there or i might just put you out you know like a, a couple of days after agas who who knows you know um how long have you podcasts. been podcasting oh about f- four years now but it, it used to be very it used to be political it used to be based around sort of brexit and and charity stuff um and and then i just realized um it's it's quite um, it's really tough doing podcasting because you're essentially competing with every celebrity under the sun and you're also competing with hundreds of other shows. Even this is even four years ago. There were quite a few. Um, and then also, I just start start thinking, God, what I'm ever doing is talking about fucking Brexit. You know, it's like never ending. And and so I gave up for about a year. And then about December, I sort of thought, oh, you, you don't have to talk about politics all the time. There are some wonderful people out there to talk to. Um, and people have been really generous with their time. But it's a long answer, isn't it? It's a long answer. Well, you, should, you. You, should, you should do a podcast. I, every, I think everyone should do a bloody podcast. They're just so wonderful.
2: They are. They're cool. And I listen, you know, I listen to a lot of podcasts. So, yeah, what it's your, interesting.
1: What, what are your favorite podcasts?
2: Uh, I tend to sort of listen to um, anything where I can get a bit of a mashup of comedy. And... Uh, I'm also a bit weird about Line of Duty. Like, I love Line of Duty, um, so yeah, I I, um, I over listen to their podcast because I want to know everything.
0: Yeah, <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's not cool. Don't put that in. <laughs> there's
1: there's no such thing as not cool in the world of pod the world of podcasting. For God's sake, you know, I used to listen to the Game of Thrones ones and and got way too into it. Way way too into it. You know. Yeah. I'd be I'd i do like um. Uh, fan writing, whatever you call it, you know, when people do fan fiction. God,
0: pathetic.
1: Um but yeah. <laughs> that's too
2: fast. That is too fast. Yeah. <laughs>
1: but that's the world of podcasting. So you can do like a, a podcast on bloody pillow making. I just looked at a pillow and thought about that. Um anything. You you know I'm surprised that um this do Springwatch do a podcast?
2: Um, not not a specific Springwatch podcast. No, and I have I did sort of float that a few years ago. Um But as always, it sort of comes down to what the BBC can do and budgets and all Mm. things like that. Um, But they're pretty good. I used to sort of do some of their live social stuff, and I really enjoyed that. It was a connection, an instant connection with the audience, and I think that live TV has a real opportunity there. Um, But yeah, yeah, yeah. I love a bit of Radio Four get
1: get one because you do the, oh god i forgot to ask you about your poetry as well don't you do you do a, a thing on radio four with uh, jeremy irons or something or I, have I, done i
2: did yeah i did yeah. I, I mean i'm from just outside hull originally um so when when it was whole city of culture 2017 um i wrote and presented a program about the great poets of of hull um yeah. And yeah, Jeremy Irons and Julie has read the poetry live. It was, I think, I think in my career, that's the thing that I'm most proud of because... Jesus Christ,
1: is... we, we have to put that in. That's, that's crazy. <laughs> we, we literally just, that's like the, the highlight of your career. Sorry, carry no, on talking.
2: I've, I've, got a, I've got a few, you know, the Netball World Cup was yeah. outstanding, but, um, you know, and, and, and any sort of live TV. But what was so special about that programme was that that's where I'm from. And, you know, it was other people in their words and their expression saying why Hull and the people of Hull and the sort of culture is important in the world. And I just loved putting that together and expressing where I was from in this year when it was being celebrated because Hull isn't celebrated a huge amount and it should be. Uh, Everyone cares about where they're from. Um, But then just to hear some of these, I mean, Philip Larkin, my goodness me, that man's poetry is just mind-blowing. And to hear that read out next to you by Jeremy Irons is, um, you know, it's decent. Yeah, (laughs) it's
1: decent. Yeah, Yeah. and it
2: was live, it was live, so they, they let me do it live as well, you know, they just threw in that little joy, so... Yeah, ah, yeah, yeah. God, that's, that's good. wonderful. Yeah, I, I was listening.
1: Do you know this is so funny? I listened to a, a podcast called Quickly Kevin. It's a com- a, a comedy one based on nineties football. But at the end of every episode, they do Des Lyneham reading poems. He did a he, Des Lynam did it. exactly mate. He did an album. I don't know how long ago it was the France ninety eight World Cup, and he released one an album of all his favorite poems. I'm telling you, after about five seconds, you forget it's Lyneham, and you're just like, this is awesome you know and then it got me thinking about some of my favorite poems you know like um mainly um uh william blake and um my favorite one is really it's like a four-liner i think it's he who lets the arrow fly um he who bends him he who bends himself to a joy does the winged life destroy he who lets the arrow fly lives in eternity's sunrise so just you know a best basically one of the greatest messages in the world like to just essentially let things be free um when they come to you naturally it's beautiful it's it's natural it's gorgeous and and it's a really great great way to live your life it's also it's really simple it's really short so you just remember it um the poet poetry is a funny one because so many people think not so many people i'm you know people There there is the misinterpretation that poetry is a bit i don't know bit bit up it's bit up itself and a and some of it's just a little bit like abstract art, a bit like wonky and weird and daft. But some of it, when it's done right, Blake, what have you? My God, it is extraordinary because it just cuts to the very essence of you, and it like leaves you just really shaken, like almost in a profound sense. Like, who, who are your favourite poets?
2: It's amazing. Um, mm. Yeats, I absolutely love. Um, right. I I've said Larkin already. Larkin is just he's so sort of. Um, critical and to the point um, but Mm. also sort of lyrically beautiful and sparing in his words and um, yeah I really like that Uh, WB Yeats probably my favourite poem of all time and um, Shakespeare because the sonnets are just him laying himself completely bare and you know I think I first read them when I was a teenager and I sort of felt like this bloke from 400 years ago had managed to write down how I felt Um, you know and and that's just incredible the deeper you look into the words of Shakespeare's sonnets aside from his plays it's astounding
1: yeah yeah that's great that's awesome
2: and then, you know, go and read something yeah. ridiculous or listen to some rap music. They're poets as well. <laughs> and you don't always want to listen to Shakespeare, you know. Sometimes yeah, you need yeah. Eminem.
1: Or <laughs> <laughs> status quo. Yeah. Mm, okay, maybe not. But um, look, I'll, I'll let you go. I um, thank you Bob so, Dylan. so much. Bob Poetry Dylan. Poetry Bob Dylan.
2: Dylan. I'll leave you with that. I'll just Dylan. shout that at the end. Yeah. <laughs> it's lovely Dylan. to see you. Bob Dylan. Yeah,
1: yeah. you too. And, and look after yourself. Maybe we'll chat again in the future.
2: Yeah, thanks, um yeah. thanks for asking me. Lovely to speak.
1: Okay, take Enjoy care of it. Yeah,
2: oh, and Bye. thanks for doing research. You can tell you've actually looked into it and asked me questions that are not the same ten questions I get every time. So, it's so
1: cool. <laughs> Great, no worries, it's been an absolute pleasure.
0: Twist coming over Twist on me. Twist on them twist on you.